I also thought marketing was a an event, not a process, meaning, hey, I do this big rebrand and everything is going to be fine after that. I don't have to do anything. And again, that was a mistake. Like I said, marketing is the, those things that you do daily, weekly, monthly, and that's going to be the thing that makes the biggest difference. If you're looking to up your startup marketing game, you're in the right place. This podcast will help you simplify, prioritize, and see big wins from your marketing efforts. Every week, you'll hear from some of the world's best venture-backed startup founders, marketing leaders, and startup experts about marketing, brand, growth, what's working well, challenges, and how crazy and fun marketing can be when you're at a high-growth startup. See ya inside. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I have with me today, Alan Dibb, who is the managing dictator at SuccessWise. And uh, we'll get a little bit more into what Alan has been working on. But I was mentioning when you just came on and we were chit-chatting that it's like meeting a celebrity for me personally, right? Because I have, once I got a hold of your book, The One-Page Marketing Plan, I was hooked and I've used it ever since, like years ago. I've used it back in the corporate world. I've, I use it now for my own business. I've used it with clients. And it's like I'm meeting the person behind the, you know, the, the brains behind the book. And it's really fun. So thanks for being here. Of course. It's a pleasure. I'm so glad the book has had a big impact on you. And I'm, I'm very joyful that it's had an impact on many, many people around the world, which has been a real pleasure for me. That must feel so good. Like not only is it the number one global marketing book on Amazon, but you get like bits and pieces of like probably people like me saying, thank you so much for making it simple, for making it usable, for making marketing attainable, right? Totally, totally. I get email every day from readers. It's uh, it's really cool. I don't think a lot of marketing people get fan mail, so it's kind of cool to to hear from people all over the world as to how they're using it. And you're you're dead right. So people say you know they've gotten a lot of a lot of clarity around marketing. They say that they've gotten a framework because a lot of a lot of marketing books are really really good, but you finish them and you're not sure what do I do next, right? So so I think having a simple framework that people can walk away with an action has been really important. So tell me, what is managing dictator? Like, <laughs> what is that? What does that mean? I have never seen anybody with that title. <laughs> it's it's partially a, a joke, but only partially because uh, I firmly believe that business is a, a benevolent dictatorship. So it's not managing by consensus. A lot of people I see these days seems to be trendy to be managing by consensus. And I don't think that's good leadership. I mean, when you think of some of the great business leaders. I don't think they manage by consensus. And that's not to say you don't take people's opinions into considerations, people's knowledge, people's intelligence. Of course you do. But at the end of the day, there needs to be a captain of the ship and you need to make a decision and you need to say, right, we're going this way, who's on board? So that's a little bit of a play on words there, but it's a little bit of fun and a little bit of real life. Yeah, I love that. I'm sure that people run into that consistently working at companies and like 
somebody needs to make the decision, right? Like everybody, you hear everybody's voice and you get some buy-in here and there, but there's got to be that leader. So yeah, I love that title. I might use that. Who knows? (laughs) 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 So going back to the book, it's basically a way for people to be able to map out their entire marketing strategy on one page, which I find to be super cool. I'm a fan of simplicity, but also it's user-friendly. It's not like you're writing pages and pages in a marketing plan or strategy, and then you file it away and never use it again. So it's amazing that you you were able to kind of um, simplify and put it in a book format. And you have helped over 250,000 businesses around the world clarify their marketing strategy, which is no small feat. You've built several multi-million dollar businesses across different fields like IT, telecommunications, and marketing. And you're also on the Forbes Coaches Council. And I just wanted to say one last thing about this one page marketing plan book is that like I basically have memorized it. I could I could see it in my sleep. I just talked to, I shared it with a client today, right? Like I filled it out. We're going to talk through it some more because it's so simple and powerful. So thank you, Alan. Of course, of course. It's my pleasure. <laughs> So let's jump into some questions I have for you now that I have you here on my show. What does marketing mean to you? I'd love to ask that first. Yeah, so marketing is the strategy that we use to get our ideal client to know us, like us, and trust us. So it encompasses a range of communication. And it's it's interesting, if you ask anyone what marketing means. You ask five different people what marketing means and you're going to get five different answers. But for me, it's the strategy we use, the blueprint that we're going to use to get our ideal prospect to know us, like us and trust us. And so I think of it like a blueprint if we're building a house, right? So we need a blueprint, right? We're going to work with our... And literally, I went through this process a few years ago myself. I walked into the architect's office and I said, oh, I want a rooftop terrace. I want this. I want a four-car garage, all of this. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on, Alan. Hang on. Tell me about your lifestyle. Do you have children? Do you entertain a lot? You know, and then he pulls out a map to see where the block of land was that that I'd purchased. And he's like, hang on, it's really windy there. Um, So, you know, rooftop terrace, you're probably not going to use it. And in summer, it's going to be really, really hot. And he was right about all of that sort of stuff. So, the same with marketing. We want to build it before we build it. So the question I often ask is, is it possible to build something before you build it? And the answer is, of course, yes. That's that's what the blueprint to the house is. We build the house before we actually build it. Because if we just started laying bricks and digging a foundation without any kind of blueprint, it's going to be a disaster. It's not not possible to, to do that. And the same goes for, for our businesses. A lot of people just do random acts of marketing. They start essentially laying the bricks, building the foundation, doing kind of random kind of stuff without a blueprint. They haven't built it before they build it. And so it's really, really important that we have a map because we want to get to a well-designed destination. We don't want to get to a random destination. So if we do random acts of marketing, we will get to a random destination. And, you know, I don't want people to spend years building a business and then get to a random destination. I want people to get to a well-designed destination. And so that's why having a marketing plan is so important because my wish is that everybody listening to this arrives at a well-designed destination as it relates to their business. 
how much planning can you do, do you think, with marketing? Like not, let's say it's a new business, new new entrepreneur, new product, new startup, right? Do you think that there's, like how specific can you get with planning? Or do you leave some things kind of like, well, we don't know this yet. How much of that is left? I often talk about loose goals and tight systems. And what I mean by that, so for example, about a year, year ago, or maybe a year and a half ago, I was probably about 45 pounds heavier, right? I was overweight. I was not heading in the right direction with my health. And so at that point in time, had I set, I could set a goal saying I want to lose 40 pounds or 30 pounds or whatever. And that's okay. That's fine to set those kind of goals. But realistically, I didn't know how much I was going to lose or whatever. But the thing that I had full control of was what I did daily. So what I did daily, weekly, monthly. So knowing that I hit the the weight lifting three times a week, that's scheduled, that's in my diary, that's an appointment. I knew that I could control my nutrition. I knew that I could control when I ate and what I ate. So that's what I mean by loose goals and tight systems. So while, you know, with startups, what you do may change and it will change over time. And most startup investors, good startup investors, generally don't invest in the idea. They invest in the entrepreneur. They can see because the idea pivots. We know that, you know, YouTube started as a dating app, you know, not a video app. And we know Twitter started as some kind of um, notification service or uh, something like that. And, you know, so ideas, Slack started as a game company. So good investors invest in the entrepreneur. But when it comes to planning, while we might not have a a clear picture of the five-year plan, or maybe we have a clear picture, but it's going to change over time, the thing that we can control, particularly from a marketing perspective, are the things that we do daily, weekly, monthly, and then we can iterate and we can change those over time and we can improve as we get better and more information. So as a startup, you might feel, hey, getting as a guest on podcast is a good idea for your PR, for your promotion. And it is something that I do with my team. And so that's a process in my team. So there's someone in my team who's responsible for scheduling, for sending headshots, for sending the bio, for reaching out to the appropriate podcasts and things like that. And so that's a system now in my business. I don't have to think about it. Now, if at some stage we decide to improve the system, maybe we, we're more selective about which podcasts we appear on. Maybe we're more selective about what we talk about. So on. we can improve that system and iterate over time. Or, or at some stage we may decide, hey, this is not the best use of our time and resources. We'll pivot to something else. But what's more important is the system, the fact that we've got a documented system that we know this is what we're going to do right now. And then we're going to improve that system over time. And that's that's really the power of the one-page marketing plan. Because if we had a 75-page marketing plan, you can't really iterate and update that very regularly. And it's not a living document. And in fact, in my first business, I'd spent thousands and thousands of dollars with a marketing consultant to put together one of those comprehensive marketing plans, had charts, had projections, had graphs, all sorts of things. And it just sat in the top drawer of my desk, never looked at it ever again. So I wanted the one-page marketing plan to be something that was practical. People could literally have it pinned up in their office or sitting on their desk at their at their office 
and update as they get better and more information. So if you've got a, you, if you, now you know there's, there's a different message that lands better with your audience, great, you can update the messaging. If you feel like you need to pivot your target market, no problem. You can do that and you can update your plan as you go. And a one pager is something that you can share with your team, with your investors, with your web developer, with your graphic designer. So everybody's on board. You're probably not going to do that with a big 75 page plan. It's a lot harder for sure. And so that's where, that's what I found. And that's why I loved the book and the plan. And it's just, um, it really has been so useful for me. Let's talk, let's dig a little bit deeper into this one page marketing plan. You talked a bit about like why you developed it. You're looking for something that's practical, something you can iterate on, something that's shareable. Any other whys? Totally. So when I started working with clients, I wanted them to put together a marketing plan. And because, you know, it had, even though that long 75 page plan had not been uh, very practical, the process in putting the plan together was useful. So the process meaning we started thinking about, you know, what's our positioning going to be? What's our pricing? Who's our target market? All of it. So the process of going through that plan was useful. And so when I started working with clients around the world on their business, one of the first things I wanted them to do was put together a plan. And of course, I got a lot of objections, a lot of pushback, you know, too hard, too difficult, too expensive, don't know what to do, all of that sort of stuff. And so really, this was born out of necessity. So I put together this as a tool for my own clients to be able to easily put together a marketing plan quickly and easily. About 20, 30 minutes, you can have a very comprehensive direct response marketing plan put together. And I saw excellent take up. I saw much more compliance among clients, people who were pushing back against what they felt was like a very difficult task now had a much easier task. And they, and people who had never had a marketing plan ever before in their business now had one. And that was really exciting to me. And that's so it was a tool that I used in my consulting practice long before it was a book. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention that I've used it across both um, B2C customers and or startups and B2B. So you, it, it doesn't matter, really. It, you can be B2C, B2B, B2B2C, like person to person. I don't know. That's the new. I often get asked that question, you know, is it, does it work for B2C? Does it work for B2B? And I say, look, it's really H to H, human to human. Uh, you know, whether you're working with the CEO of a multinational company or the janitor or whatever, we're really all humans. We're all, all affected emotionally and moved emotionally. And so a lot of what we do in marketing is moving people emotionally to a desired destination. And so that's what we do with marketing and that's what we do with the one-page marketing plan. And so I think of it as H to H, human to human. Yep, absolutely. And going off of what you were saying about like, there is a whole process behind putting the plan together. It's not just like you sit down for an hour and you fill it out. Personally, what I do with startups with my with my clients is we start with building a foundation first, like voice of the customer research, figuring out what is the positioning, figuring out what are other players in the space? What are the goals for this person that you're targeting, right? What are their challenges? That's that's a whole lot of work prior. So it's not just like you sit down and you fill it out. You do have to do the homework. It's just that after you're done doing the homework, you now have a beautiful space to start entering in the information that you now know from the, the process. So 
I just spoke about voice of the customer research, but there's also like a whole other building out your content strategy, for example, and looking at like, well, let's look at all the channels that we could get into. Well, does it make sense to get into all of these channels? No, right? Because it's a lean team typically. So let's prioritize these channels and then we prioritize and then we put them into the one page marketing plan prioritized already because we're going to test that and make sure that like we hit our objectives. So the one thing I did add to the plan I wanted to mention, and I'll share the playbook that I... You haven't made it a two-page marketing plan, have you? I have not. (laughs) I still stuck to the one page, but I thought it was really important to add objectives. Like for these different channels that we're going to try, what are, what's the object, what's the goal? And actually start to develop more like smart goals, right? Put some numbers behind it so that we can track stuff over the course of the weeks and months, right? We're doing something. Do we keep doing it or should we turn it off and try something else? So that that's really helped me personally with my business and also for the startups that I work with. So yeah, just wanted to let you know that I tweaked it a little bit, but it's awesome. So I wanted to ask you how how do your best customers use this one page marketing plan well? Like, what do you see them doing that's above and beyond how other clients that you might have are not? Best way that people use it and the way that it was intended to be used was as a living document, as something that you iterate over time. So I'll give you an example. So a lot of business owners, as the company grows, they get further and further removed from the customer experience, from the sales experience as well. They're not as dialed in with their messaging. They're not as dialed in with some of the problems that are happening in their business. And I often suggest to people in my consulting practice that they should spend at least one day a month on the front lines, meaning they're on the they're taking sales calls, they're maybe doing some help desk because you're going to learn so much about your business, what's what's wrong, what's going really well, what people are responding to, what questions people have. So if you if you do that, you're going to get so much intel about what's going on, and you want to create that iterative feedback loop within your organisation. So you want you want to get together with your sales folks and say, hey. What are the biggest objections that are coming through? Because we can address that in your messaging. Or what are the biggest questions that are coming through? Because that makes great material for your content marketing. Or you you can see, you know, what are the biggest complaints? Because you can feed that back through to your product development uh, cycle. And so thinking of the one-page marketing plan, rather than it be just something that you set and forget, it's a document that you're going to iterate over time and you want to get that feedback from the front lines. You don't want to be you don't want to be creating a marketing plan just from your imagination, like thinking about, okay, I think this messaging will work for my target market or whatever. You want to get actual market data. You want to get the actual words that your target market use because that's going to make your marketing much, much more powerful. That's really good advice, getting out there in the, in, in, on the front lines as a founder of a startup. I think that that's really important as, as these startups grow. Talking to sales folks, I think you brought up some really good points. It's, it all has to kind of circle back. It's not just like you did something and then you don't iterate on it and it collects dust because your marketing touches lots of different aspects of your organization, not just the marketing stuff, not just the sales stuff, but the, the bigger picture, right? The product, the culture, feedback you're, you're getting on, on an ongoing basis. So great points. 
And as a startup, particularly, I've, I've heard this good advice. I think it was Paul Graham who said this, but he said, do things that don't scale, you know, because in our startups, we continually are focused on scale, on user growth and all of those things. And that's all great. But in the beginning, you, you do need to do things that don't scale. So meaning talk to customers, even take customers through a personalized onboarding process. The founders of Airbnb are famous for having early clients over to their house for dinner or going and photographing apartments and things like that, because you're going to learn so much by being on the front lines, particularly early on, getting early user feedback and feeding that back into your product. Because the thing that you don't want to do is spend years building a product and then figure out, okay, hang on, people actually don't want this stuff. They actually want something different. So having that early feedback loop, being on the front lines, particularly early, but even as you grow and as you scale, really understanding what's actually happening on the front lines is so important. Yeah, I love that. Speaking of startups and doing things that don't scale, what are some other, like, what are some big marketing trends that you're seeing today that startups should be aware of? Entrepreneurs need to be on top of anything that comes to mind. I think we're really moving towards conversation-based marketing. And I think marketing has always been conversation-based, but I think we we lost that a little bit in the transition from print and offline to digital. You know, everything went to being digital and less personalized and, you know, focused on scale. And I think now we're starting to get back more to having conversations. So I'll give you a few examples how that manifests. So a lot of people send email newsletters or email drip sequences, which which they work very well. But you'll notice that a lot of them get sent from like a no reply email address or a sales at or an info at in email address. And so that doesn't invite a conversation that's like, you know, no reply. Why would you want no reply? I want replies to, to my emails. I want people to, to reply to my drip sequences. So why do I want that? Because I know that conversations are going to lead to conversions. If you sell anything of reasonable value, you're going to need to have a conversation with your client to have a, to affect a conversion over time. And so a lot of people think about their advertising, they think about like cost per click and, you know, CPM and all of that sort of stuff. But I want you to think about cost per conversation. You know, what does it cost in terms of advertising for you to have a conversation with your ideal target market? Because conversations are going to lead to conversions. And so I'm seeing that as becoming increasingly important, whether it's email, whether it's a chat, a live chat on your website, whether it's a back and forth with your client over the phone. So how can you introduce that human to human element back in your business and have a conversation with your ideal target market? I love how you said conversations lead to conversions. I also love the cost per conversation metric. I have not heard of that, but it definitely is bringing the human element back into our digital world. A question I have on top of that is, and especially for, for B2C, right? A lot of the time you're kind of, you kind of release things into the wild. Like you're doing Facebook advertising and you're putting stuff out there and it's not very, it doesn't come back to you, right? Like people click on the ad and then you look at the numbers and you look at the data and you saw that that creative works with that copy. And then like, let's do more of that. That's not really a conversation though. How do we, how do we do that? How do we get more into like having conversations, especially 
on a B2C level where you're potentially getting thousands of people interacting with some of the stuff you put out there on digital? Obviously, if you're selling a $20 widget, then maybe it doesn't make sense to have a personalized conversation with each each person. But you want to you want to have someone available on the other other line, either on the phone or on chat. You know, so many times I've been at the point of purchase, you know, I'm about to hit that add to cart button and then I'm like, I'm not sure, does it do this or or it does it come in this color or whatever? And I've abandoned that because I didn't have an easy way to have a conversation with somebody, you know, mate, yeah, sure, I could send an email to their support or, or whatever. But if they had a little chat box and I could ask that one quick question, that would have affected that that conversion. So have a way that you can actually answer people's questions in a very frictionless way. Now, everybody says, okay, well, you know, send a support ticket or call, call our help desk or whatever, and that's fine. But can you do it in a, le- in a more frictionless way? You know, more and more people are, uh, convenience is just driving innovation. So, you know, when you think of, you know, apps like Uber and Netflix, I mean, they've dri- they were, have been driven by convenience, right? We didn't, now we find it ridiculous to wait for a, a, a particular day or time to watch our TV show. We just binge watch the whole series on demand when we want. You know, we press a button on, on Uber and the car arrives to our exact location. And so you really want to be looking at any point in your whole funnel that's creating friction. And so if someone's having friction around you know, asking questions, I think particularly for anyone who's in e-commerce, particularly for anyone in a, in a SaaS kind of product, live chat and having an easy, frictionless way for you to connect with your audience is absolutely essential because they're going to have a million questions. You know, they're going to, you know, if, if you sell a food product that, you know, they'll, you know, is it gluten-free, is it this, is it that? And you can answer a lot of those things on your website, but sometimes people have questions that you don't anticipate or people haven't found the answer or whatever else, I think it's so important to have that that functionality that's available. Now, if you sell anything of reasonable value, so if you sell consulting or if you sell a SaaS product that has a high lifetime value, then absolutely it's going to make total sense for you to get on a, on a call with your ideal prospect and your ideal audience. And I would build my funnel with conversations built in at some point in the funnel. Now, it may not make sense for the first interaction to be a conversation, but certainly as someone progresses in your funnel and shows that they're a higher probability prospect, it can certainly make a lot of sense to include a conversation in in those funnels. How do you, I'm curious, how do you think about offers? Like, do you get deep into this with your clients and think through like what kind of offer is the best one to get people enticed to talk to you? And do you work on that with with clients that you have? Or is that not where the bulk of your time is spent? No, we spend a lot of time on, on offer. I think offer is really the thing that can make you or break you. And so the way I think of it this way, if you have a strong offer and what I mean by a strong offer is there's a strong product to market fit, meaning that there's a problem that the market's got and you've got a really good solution to that problem, a really frictionless problem. So maybe the problem that you solve is, you know, you deliver something that at a dramatically reduced cost or you do something that has a dramatic 
reduction of friction in the way that it's delivered or whatever else. So you've got a strong product to market fit. And so I see marketing as propulsion, right? So if you've got a strong product to market fit, you don't need a lot of propulsion, meaning your cost of marketing, cost of customer acquisition is going to be low. So you kind of think about it like if you had a helium filled balloon and you give it a tap and it launches into into the air, right? You didn't need a lot of propulsion for, for it to do that because it's just got, it takes a life of its own. Whereas if you took a big, heavy bowling ball, you're going to need to strap a rocket on that to get that into, into the air. And so I think of your offer in the exact same way. So some offers are just, they're poor offers, they're poor product to market fit, which means that you're going to be pushing uphill, you're going to need to spend a lot of money on marketing, you're probably not going to get a good ROI. So, you you know, your offer is the thing that is the problem sometimes. So it's sometimes you're doing all the right things from a marketing perspective, but the reason your marketing is not successful is the offer has a poor product to market fit. It's not something that people want. So what you want with your offer is when your ideal target market sees it, they're like, yes. I want that. You know, you want that reaction from your your target market. And that's how it's going to take a, a life of its own. And that's how you're going to be able to spend less money and less time and less effort pushing it and promoting it and all of those things. You still have to, of course, market yourself. You still have to promote, but it's it's not going to be that heavy lift that that a lot of people find because a lot of people think, hey, let's just take our product and sprinkle marketing on the top and all our problems will be solved. But the problem is inherent in the actual offer. Got it. And can you can you explain the difference between product and offer? Like give an example. I just want to make sure that listeners understand that like that these two can be separate and you you could have you can have really good product market fit but have a poor offer and so people are not enticed to work with you or buy, buy that thing. So you can have the right stuff going to the wrong people, which which is going to create a poor product to market fit. Or you can have the wrong stuff going to, to the right people. And again, it's going to be a poor product to market fit. Let me give you a real world example. So you probably have heard of Dollar Shave Club. So what do they sell? They sell cheap men's razor blades. Nothing special about the product whatsoever. Same razor blades you'd buy in Walmart or Costco or anywhere else. But they started offering them via subscription, which was at the time quite innovative. And, you know, they tapped into men's laziness or or unwillingness to go shopping. And so the razor blade just showed up at your doorstep every month. And so they, they turned the cheap men's razor blade into a subscription service. Now, that was a good product to market fit, even though... There was nothing new about the product. There was nothing innovative about the product. Same razor blade you'd buy anywhere else, but it showed up, it was priced and packaged in a different way. And that created a billion dollars of value for them. So they sold that company to Unilever for a billion dollars, zero innovation in product. It's basically a pricing and a packaging play. And so that created a really strong product to market fit. They essentially created that category of subscription razor blades and subscription men's products. So, and that was worth a billion dollars to them. So that's, that's a practical example of a, a good offer that, that really worked in the marketplace, even though there's nothing new about the product itself. Yeah. And the marketing was really good. I remember it's like really funny and, and fun and cheeky and just different from what you see with other blades or even other men's products out there. 
It was. It was really. It was a really good viral marketing. But again, if the product was poor, uh, if the product to market fit was poor, that cycle would have fizzled out pretty quickly. I mean, we've seen some really funny advertising campaigns and things that have been good from a creative perspective, but the product hasn't gotten traction. Whereas they got the reason that they got continual traction was because there was a strong product to market fit. So if there what if that wasn't in place, their creative w- wouldn't have worked the way it did. So like I said, I think of marketing as propulsion, you know, and how much propulsion you need depends on your product to market fit and your offer. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we haven't talked about success wise, but I'd love to hear more about like the marketing that you're doing for success wise. Clearly you're getting on podcasts and that's working (laughs) well for you. Otherwise you wouldn't be here. What else? Like, what are you focused on with your marketing that's going really well? We focus on getting the book out to people who are influencers, who have got an audience, so people who've got YouTube audiences, people who've got podcast audiences. We interact with groups. So I, I do speaking at events, well, not so much lately, but you know, a year or two before the whole, whole pandemic, I did quite a bit of speaking to, to different groups. We do Amazon paid ads, so Amazon is a strong channel for us. I'm about to launch my own podcast a little bit late to the game, but that's coming in the next few weeks. So I'm really, really... Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. What's it called or you you can't say yet? Uh, I won't say it yet. We've got a few titles, but it's going to be obviously a marketing-focused podcast. So watch this space. But yeah, I'm really, really excited about launching that. We are also experimenting at the moment with like a free book funnel. So basically giving the book away for free to, to certain audiences as well. We're also testing quiz-based marketing. So I think that's going to work really, really well where we take people through a whole quiz funnel and then figure out where are they weak and where they're strong and then provide relevant content based on where they were strong and weak. So I think of it as a mad scientist laboratory. We try all sorts of things, and some of the things we try work, and we deploy those to clients. Some of the things we try don't work, and that's totally fine. That's part of the whole iterative process. It's like that is what marketing is for life, right? You never stop iterating, testing. It's always going to be the case. Your marketing will change a hundred times. And what worked two years ago will not work now, maybe, right? So you have to constantly try new things. And I think that's what I find so fun, that it's just ever-changing, that you always kind of be have to be on your toes. This quiz-based marketing thing sounds really interesting. When it's ready, I'd love to try it. Watch this space. We're, we're, we're probably a month away from launching that quiz funnel. So, and I'm going to share that with my, um, my MBA marketing and business academy group, and I'll show them the results and how we've done it. But I like quiz based marketing because you can use it to segment the audience. So you can take them through the whole quiz process and depending on their answers, you can segment them in your CRM. And then based on those segments, you can send them highly relevant information. So I think that's really, really powerful. People love doing quiz quizzes because what's everyone's favorite topic themselves, right? So quiz is all about you, right? And that's really what good marketing is all about. It's all about the prospect. So many times I see people talk about themselves to a prospect and a prospect 
doesn't really care about that much. They want to know what can you do for them. And so people's favourite topic is themselves, and I think a quiz really taps into that. So anyway, it's an experiment. We're going to try it, and I'll report back on the results. Wonderful. I uh, also wanted to mention, I don't know where I saw this, but I was looking at a company's About Us page. And instead of saying the typical about us, mission, vision, values about the company, it turned it back on the person, on the reader. And it's like, it's about you. And I found that to be, isn't that funny how that something like that can be just like, whoa, that's so different. That's so cool. Good for them for for turning it around and and talking not about themselves, but about the consumer, the user, whoever it is that's reading the page. And I think that the more we can stop ourselves from right, doing stuff that's more meant for us and about our company and what we care about, it should always come back to like, who is who are we solving the problem for? And it's about them. So Absolutely. The, the about page is not about you. It's about your prospect. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's a very good observation. That's right. That's right. What are some bad recommendations that you have heard that you keep hearing in uh, related to marketing, marketing and growth, and uh, that you just want to like maybe vent a little bit about that? <laughs> Where do we start? There are many. The biggest thing I find is the bright, shiny object syndrome. So, you know, it's kind of like if you go to the to the market, the fish guy is going to tell you to, to buy fish. The chicken guy is going to tell you to buy chicken. The vegetable guy is going to tell you to buy vegetables. And so we find the exact same thing in marketing, right? The SEO guy is going to tell you, hey, SEO is the, the thing to do. The pay-per-click guy is going to tell you the, the paper pay-per-click is the thing to do. And so it's very easy to get caught up in that bright, shiny object, you know, syndrome. So following different gurus and things like that. And None of those things are bad. Pay-per-click is good. SEO is good. or Rebranding is all, all good. But where does this fit into your plan? That's kind of like what we were talking in the beginning. It's kind of like the laying of the bricks, the digging of the pool, the balcony, all of that. But hang on, let's figure out the blueprint first. Let's figure out where does SEO fit in our marketing plan? Where does pay-per-click fit in? Uh, do we have a strong product to market fit? Do we have a strong offer? Do we have good messaging? Have we defined our target market? So once you once you figure out those sorts of things, then you can lay the bricks, so to speak. So then you can say, okay, we're going to do SEO. We're targeting this particular person with this particular message. And so you're going to have a much better time of it. Um, there's also this the concept that I see very often said, I think it comes from Russell Brunson, click funneled, you know, we are one funnel away, right? And um, that's not been my experience. I don't think you're one funnel away. It's just an iterative process. It's about the things that you do daily, weekly, monthly. That's how you win at the game of marketing, the things that you're going to do daily, weekly, monthly. That's how you win at this game. It's not with the one launch or the one funnel or the one thing that you do. It's going to be a process that you put into place. Oh, I can relate to that. It totally is. That's why I love systems. That's why I love frameworks and simple ones too that you will follow. It's like I decided early on that I'm going to post three times on LinkedIn, three times a week on LinkedIn because I knew that I can handle that. And some people are like, they had to get off LinkedIn because they they said, well, I'm going to post every day. And then they got burned and then they stopped. So 
it is what you do daily, weekly, monthly. It's the systems that you put in place. And oftentimes, like it's it's like forget about the tech. It doesn't matter what you're using as your social media tool to make those posts, or it doesn't matter until something like is really painful for you to do manually. Don't worry about those tech tools. Worry about your systems and your foundation. And is it where it needs to be? So I am totally with you there. <laughs> Not that we are one funnel away. Not the we are one tech crunch article away from blowing up, right? That's not that's not going to work. So thanks for talking through that frustration. <laughs> I wanted to talk about, because you mentioned in your profile that you made many mistakes and we all do, right? We, we are learning, we're growing, we make mistakes. You wasted lots of money. You lost all your hair. People can't see because it's a podcast, but if they find you on the internet, they'll see while trying to build your first business, this all happened. Can you talk a bit more about like the failure, the mistakes and how that has set you up for, for success, honestly? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I've made every mistake in the book. I'm pretty uh, open in about that. So, you know, I always thought that it was, and this is something very, very common among, among startups. I always thought it was about the product. You know, we've been taught this lie that build it and they will come, right? And that's a great movie plot. It's not such a good business strategy. So we've been told create a great product or great service and the audience will come. And that was not my experience at all. In my first business, we had an amazing product and service. The clients we had loved us, but I just had, did not have a clue on how to get new clients in the door. It's just a daily frustration. And, you know, I would see competitors who had far inferior products and services and they ran rings around us financially. And that was such a frustration. You know, I don't know. I think one of life's biggest frustrations is when you see dumber people making more money than you do. <laughs> you know, that's uh, got to be one of life's biggest frustrations. And so I certainly experienced that. And, you know, it, it was kind of almost comical because those companies would often hire us to teach them the latest technology because we were always on the cutting edge. And then they would take what we taught them and they would do better than us in the marketplace. And I'm like, what is going on? I am a smart guy. I know how to do this stuff. I know how to follow instructions. Why can't I get this marketing thing cracked? And so, you know, I tried all sorts of things. So I remember the first time we ran an ad, we spent, I think it was like three or $4,000 on some print ad. And it was, you know, one of those typical really bad ads that's all about us. We're really awesome. We started in this year. We, we've got experienced engineers and all of this sort of stuff. And, you know, we came into the office the day that the ad was going to go live and we were expecting the phone to ring off the hook. 9 a.m., we're waiting. 10 a.m., we're checking to see if the dial tone on the phone is still working. Why aren't we getting a flood of, of calls? And then we figured, well, you know, it must be a problem with the logo. We uh, The logo is probably not big enough on the ad or whatever. You know, So we, we just spent thousands of dollars experimenting and trying different stuff and just making every basic mistake in, in the book. But I think what a lot of people make that mistake, that they feel it's the product or service that is the thing that's going to magically bring clients in. And yes, from time to time, a viral kind of product can work that way, but most of the time not. You're going to have to do some marketing. You're going to have to get the word out there. You're going to have to create those systems that get new clients onboarded and satisfied and create that virtuous cycle around your marketing. 
That's a very, very big mistake I see that I certainly made in the beginning. I also thought marketing was a an event, not a process, meaning, hey, I do this big rebrand and everything is going to be fine after that. I don't have to do anything. And again, that was a mistake. Like I said, marketing is the, those things that you do daily, weekly, monthly, and that's going to be the thing that makes the biggest difference. I'm curious for, um, and thanks for sharing all that. It can be hard to think back, like, oh my gosh, looking back, how much I've grown, right? Like how much I learned after all this time has passed. And I'm glad I do things differently now. So thanks for sharing that. How do you think about cold outreach versus inbound? Folks coming in because you're out there talking on the podcasts, right? Did you have to do a lot of cold outreach in the beginning to get like things moving? And do you have to do any of that now? And I can also speak to like my own experience. We don't do very much cold outreach at the moment. Um, The only cold outreach we might do would be to relevant influencers or podcasters. So more around the JV side, not so much to acquire clients. And I, I think about cold outreach and inbound as working together often so that they can they can work really well together most of our business comes from inbound now and I think of that as I call that in the book farming so there's the hunting and the farming so cold outreach is kind of like the hunting and hunting is difficult to do you've got to wake up in the morning you've got to go get a kill and you know otherwise you don't eat right whereas farming is to me at least much more pleasurable. You know, you plant the seeds, you water them, you nurture them, and then barring any unforeseen circumstance, you have a nice harvest. And so most of our business comes in through, I would say probably 99.9% of our business comes in through the farming method. And that's something that I recommend to people to build that infrastructure that creates that farm where you can plant those seeds, nurture them over time. And I think that's a much more pleasurable way of running a business. I love opening my email inbox and, you know, someone wants to work with our coaches or consultants, someone wants to join our certification program, all of those sorts of things. And then we're just having conversations with our ideal audience who are already filtered, screened, they're ready to buy and, you know, they just need to have a have a conversation with somebody. I think it's a much more pleasurable way of running a business. If I had to wake up every morning and make 20 cold calls, I don't think I'd enjoy life as much. <laughs> I have to agree with you, but it's so it's so cool to see marketing work, right? When I started the business, my own business, I was reaching out cold. I mean, I had like a list of people that I knew and I reached out to them first, but then it was it was more so hunting and I also do not love that looking at like a spreadsheet with like all these people I should reach out to and then later reach out to them again because they forgot about me. And it's just like complete night and day. There's none of that at all anymore. And that's because you've grown the right foundation, right? You've planted the seeds. You, you're creating content that's valuable. You're helping people. You're having the right conversations. And it makes me feel like I'm not just teaching or helping clients and startups with their marketing, but I'm act- I've seen it myself work. So that's really nice, really good feeling. Alan, thank you for spending your time with me. Again, it's been such a pleasure because it's one thing when I read your book, but it's another thing when I see your face and I get (laughs) to ask you questions. So I feel very lucky that you came on board here to talk about 
yourself to talk about your expertise and this one-page marketing plan, I'll include a link in the show notes. If anybody wants to reach out to Alan, you can find him on LinkedIn, Alan Dibb. And to find out more about SuccessWise, you can visit successwise.com. Alan, thank you. It was such a pleasure. Absolute pleasure talking to you, Anna. Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping weekly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on LinkedIn, search for Anna Firminov, or go to my website, firminovmarketing.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.